Have you thought about what scripture you want read at your funeral? I don't know, some people do. Uh, since we never know the day or the hour, uh, it may be. Some people do, some don't. And uh, it always is interesting to me when people do have thought about it and they tell me if they are prepared, and many are, uh, what they want read at their funeral. The text that we're about to study this morning in Psalm 103 is the scripture that Mary Moore uh, asked me to read at her funeral. I can't read it anymore without thinking this is the scripture that Mary Moore wanted me to read uh, at her funeral. Uh, it is something that meant something deeply to her, uh, but also something that she wanted as people gathered uh, into uh, celebrate, I guess, our, our, the promises that we have in Christ, you know, to fix our eyes in faith on Him and to, uh, to spend time saying goodbye and celebrating her life. This is what she wanted us to hear. We come to Psalm 103 as we've entered into this last, you know, third of the Psalter. It, uh, it really switches gears to in the way that worship is presented. That's why I say the Psalms are so rich. And if you've ever read them straight through, or you know, and, and, and even in the course of a year, you, you notice a movement. They often talk about three books in the Psalter, or four books, and how it kind of switches gears at different points in this last portion is, is a bit different than everything that has come before the last 50 Psalms. And this one, they're full of some different kinds of thoughts and emotions. In fact, a lot of them are in some ways more direct in its worship. We're in Psalm 103. Read... With me, the Word of God. David writes, and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquities. Who heals all of your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide. Nor will He keep His anger forever. No, He does not deal with us according to our sins. Nor does He repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love for those who fear Him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to His children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of Yahweh is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and who remember to do His commandments. 
For the Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels and His mighty ones who do His Word, obeying the voice of His Word. Bless the Lord, all of His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless Yahweh, all of His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word that is living and true. We thank You for the Psalms that are full of the spirit of worship. Teach us how to worship. Teach us what it is to bless You with all that is within us. To bless You with our souls. Open our hearts and our minds that we might grow and be stretched and be full of Your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The Psalms are like some of the hymns that we sing, there are a lot of perspectives within them. Some of the psalms and hymns that we sing, um, sing directly to God. They're just direct address. We talk to God and we worship Him. Some of them we talk to the congregation. You know, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before like we call to each other. We sing as a congregation calling ourselves to worship. This is a psalm where David speaks pretty much the whole time to his own soul. He speaks to himself, calls himself to wholehearted worship. He wants to bless God. Seven times the phrase is in here. It begins and it ends, it bookends seven times. Three in the beginning, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He ends with, bless the Lord, you His angels. Bless the Lord, all the hosts. Bless the Lord, all of His works. Bless the Lord, O my soul. It is the bookends. It is, it is the, the worship uh, of the Lord. And even as we read this, what it means for us to bless the Lord is an interesting phrase. If it said, worship the Lord. Honor the Lord. Praise the Lord. It makes a lot of sense. But when it says, bless the Lord, now, you and I know easily, very quickly, what it means that the Lord blesses you. Right? All that He has done for you. All the things and all the ways that He is at work in your life. So it's very easy for us to connect with the Lord blessing us. But now, how do I bless the Lord? How do I? He needs nothing from me. There's nothing that I have that He hasn't given me first. Right? There's nothing we have received as we come to bless the Lord. Uh, there is something in the middle here that is at, at the heart of worship that God is, in a sense, blessed by our wholehearted response to who He is. Spurgeon puts it this way, what can our poor drops contribute to the ocean? What can our nothingness bring to His all-sufficiency? What can our darkness contribute to His light? And yet, if the Bible says so, it must be so, for it never speaks in vain. Idle words are in the speech of man, but not in the writings of Jehovah, of Yahweh. If the Scripture teaches us to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, then it is a correct word. We may wonder at it. We may not dispute about it. <laughs> right? We may wonder at it. That we are called to bless the Lord. To be a blessing to Him in, in some way. And so I think as we wrestle with what does it 
does it mean if we can't give Him anything He doesn't already have? I think when, when it's in this reverse, when it's us blessing Him, it has everything to do with us honoring God for who He is. We can't make Him any more than He is. He can make us more than we are and often does in His blessing. I can't make Him any more, but I can honor Him and recognize Him and give Him the glory that is due His name. We can respond to who He is and what He has done. We can think much of Him because He is much. We can make much in our worship. Think awesome thoughts of God because they're true. Because they're true. Some people wrestle with that. This idea that we would give Him praise or honor Him in this way, but it is simply to recognize and to see things as they are. To express truly a knowledge of Him. To enjoy Him. To honor Him for who He is. To express heartfelt gratitude and thankfulness for what He has done. And so I'm thinking about this and the appropriateness of of responding to God for who He is. It is very natural in us. If you think about a sunset, I was sitting on my deck watching one the other day. I I often wander out at sunset and I can see just over my houses from my deck to uh, one of the ridges, one of them, the many, and the sun going down. They're often very beautiful. When we go to the beach, we've often stayed in, in places where you can see and we try to make it so we're on the porch. There have been some in the last few times we've gone every day glorious sunsets and we would try to be there and to sit and watch just watch usually silently what are we doing Um, we always talk about it just trying to soak it in right just try to take some of that that beauty that glory i don't know and let it I don't know, the soul responds to beauty. We do, to beautiful things. We, we pilgrimage around the world to awesome places and to beautiful sights so we can see them and stand and marvel because, we, because marveling is a... We are made to marvel. We are, we are small. We are creatures. We are made with these capacities. And so when we think about worship, I, you know, God is not a sunset. No, the sunset is the dimmest and the smallest of reflections. It doesn't even begin to touch the glory of the God who made every sunset. It doesn't even begin to touch. And if I can sit and, and soak in the beauty and the glory of what God has made without being an idolater and riding that beauty and glory up to the One who made it knowing that You are the Creator of every beautiful thing and every good gift, And so there is a beauty and a glory in God that we are called to respond to and it is right and appropriate because of who He is. It simply simply takes things the way they are. The sunset is glorious. For me to sit and soak it in and recognize it is the most natural thing in the world. I seek it out. God is this glorious One. Imagine the pleasure and the satisfaction and the joy of coming into the presence of this God who made all beauty and gazing upon His beauty. Recognizing Him for who He is. Adoring it and yet soaking it in. Soaking it in. Trying to 
experience some of that beauty in the soul. The psalmist in Psalm 27 verse 4 says this, One thing have I asked of you, Yahweh. This is what I will seek after, that I may dwell in your house all the days of my life. Why do I want to be there? To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord with a beauty and a glory that is far greater than the most beautiful of sunsets or the most glorious thing that you can imagine in your heart. I would want to spend my days. Why? Because when the sun sets, I mean, how many of us are like, glad that's done? Couldn't wait for that to be over. Got things to do. You know, you're like kind of like slow. You know, there's this thing. You want to savor it. You know, that's where we wonder about how this would be for an eternity. We wonder what... Our souls were made for this, my friends. God's glory is a moral and spiritual beauty. I I understand that we can't physically see Him, but there is a parallel. There's a parallel to a sunset. This Bible talks about eyes to see and ears to hear spiritual things. And the soul that is awake and, and enlivened to those things. And the impact that they have on the soul that lives. The beauty that is God is a moral and spiritual beauty. It's all about what God is and what God has done and who He has been for us, ways He has dealt with us, ways He has revealed Himself to us, who God is. He is divine. He is eternal and self-existing and almighty and all-present and all-knowing and He is wise and He is gracious and He is just and the list goes on. It can be paragraphs long of all that God is and it is a beautiful... It it would take a month of Sundays. I was thinking about this, exegeting this this psalm and this morning I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it a little differently but I'm not going to take the time. It would take a month of Sundays or more to exegete each one of the things that the psalmist moves in and says about who God is. In His power and His glory and all that He has done for us. In His awesomeness. He is not only all that He is in His self-existing, eternal, almighty, wise, gracious, divine self, but He is our Father and our Friend, our Savior and our Lord, our King, our Creator, our Sustainer, and the Lover of our souls. He is everything to me. He is everything to me. He is all and He is in all. This is the God whom we worship. And He is more beautiful than anything that this earth has to show us. And anything beautiful on the earth, you should take and ride it up to the One who made it. Amen. His glory is moral and spiritual. We are made for it. We are made for it to find our happiness in the blessing of this God. And it's not because He needs it. It's because we need it. We are made for it. Like we need a vacation where we can go sit and watch the sunset and be still and know beauty and glory to refresh and to fill our souls Knowing and loving and worshiping God is the soul's true home. It's the place of our truest joy and satisfaction. Oh, my soul and all that is within me, bless this God who is my God. You have a sense of what it is like to experience what the psalmist is expressing here. Do you come to sing songs? Or do you come to open all that is within you to bless the Lord and to soak in His glory?
And I believe this is what worship is about. And the songs we sing and the words we preach and the prayers that we pray are to open that glory to us. To expose us to it. Just as the psalmist is, is about to. As he says, you know, bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says, forget not all His benefits. And then he goes to list them. And that's what we do here. We list them. We sing them. And we preach them. And we pray them. And we talk about them as we lead into songs. And, we, right? and, and it's, it's the fullness of it to not forget who He is, but to hold it up to the eyes of faith that we might be saturated with His person. So that we may pour out the contents of our hearts and our minds in worship like the psalmist does. There is an intensity to this. I'm going to come back to that. But there is an intensity to it, to, to worship. I think worshiping is, we are called to worship in similar ways that we're called to love the Lord our God. Because I don't think that they're very far apart. I think they're very, very close together. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart. That's inward. All of your soul. That's, I don't know, we'll go deep. How deep can we go? With all of your mind, yes, and, and your thoughts and get it right and, and the words and make sure that we're thinking right thoughts about God. Biblical thoughts about God. You know, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is, I think our worship should be exactly like that. I don't know how you can love Him in worship and it be anything less than that. I believe, I believe our worship should be full of it. In that respect, David gives us ample reasons for such worship. He unveils some of this moral and spiritual glory. He gives a list. Could you, in a, in a moment's notice, sit and make a list of the glory of your God and all of His benefits? And we should, in some ways, do it on a regular basis, describing what, what God has done, who God is, who He has been for us, how He has dealt with us, how He has revealed Himself. But I don't just want to expose it, and I'm not going to dig down into each one of these. Because as I said, each one of them is a sermon. Each one of these benefits is a sermon. But I'm not going to dig down in that sense. I don't think it's any less to expose it properly. Because what I want to do is expose it in a sense the spirit of the psalm. I want us to enter into the heart and the mind and the spirit of the psalmist as he worships. And I think that's why God in some ways puts a soul on display in its worship. So that we would not only get the words and the content of what he's saying, but that we could enter into the, to the heart of the worship itself that's going on here. So he, he does unpack, forget not, verse 3, or verse 2, all of his benefits. And he moves right into them. The God who forgives all. How much of your iniquity? All of your iniquity. You can stop right there. You could just say, if, if, if that were the only benefit that you got from God in His whole relationship with you, that one benefit would be worthy of an eternity of worship. That He forgives all, all of your iniquity. Doesn't hold it against you. He heals all of your diseases, and I would go spiritual here. I know there's a whole debate in the church, but in the list that it is and the way that it goes. In other words, that He not only forgives your sin, but He heals your soul. He not only forgives, but He sanctifies. He not only forgives, but He cures us of our love for sin and our, and our wicked ways. And He teaches us to walk right with Him. He, he not only forgives, but He heals our diseased soul. Read Isaiah 1 if you want to know what I'm talking about. That he, he heals our diseases and He redeems your life from 
the pit. Every morning you should wake up and give thanks to God that He has redeemed your soul from the pit. Every day. An eternity of worship in, in each of these things. He satisfies you. He redeems your life and crowns you with His steadfast love. Right? That is His covenant love. His eternal love. His everlasting love. He crowns your life with it. It makes you a prince and a princess uh, under His crowned with His love that is everlasting and will never be taken away. He satisfies us. Our youth is renewed. This is that work that He doesn't just forgive and leave us as we are, but He, he is a God who redeems and restores. The Lord is righteous and justice for all who are oppressed. In a week like this, I was reading this as even as things are unfolding this week, we live in a world where there is so much injustice and oppression and brokenness. Right? The injustice or the wrongness of a, of a man whose taillight was broken, who tried to do it right, but ends up dead. It isn't right. And if your heart doesn't somewhere in there say, I'm not, I'm not saying against... Our, I feel for the policeman. His life is ruined. Ruined. Right? There's, there's not just on either side. It's a tragedy. It's a travesty of justice. It's, it's not the way that it's supposed to be. And, and this murderous assault on, on law and order, on the police force, that keep the peace. This anarchy and this chaos that says we would rather go to civil war on the rule of law. And it is... Oh God, if your heart doesn't go, we've been having this discussion, you know, we tend to get polarized. And I stand in the middle and say, I long for the day when the God who is the Lord who works righteousness and justice for all, the day when things will be made right, when, when it is not like this. And how do we stand as believers in the midst of it? As people of children of the Prince of Peace who long for righteousness and not some of the sentiments that are being bantered about. His chiding will not last forever. Nor His anger. Oh, blessed be God. The day is coming when these things will pass and all things will be made new. And then He tries to express this, right? He will not deal with us and as He goes down. He doesn't deal, verse 10, with, with us according to our sins nor Repay us according to our iniquities the way we are sitting here this morning. Fire should come out from heaven and consume us. But He does not deal with us according to our iniquity. He does not repay us the way we deserve. We sit here this morning under His grace, under His mercy. Every moment in His presence is a gift of His grace. We don't deserve to be there. And He tries to express the, the dimensions of this kind of grace and love, right? In verse 11, he goes, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love. These people didn't fly, right? And as far as the heavens are above the earth is an infinite, unreachable distance. And now we fly, and we've flown up there, and it's still an infinite, unreachable distance across the galaxies, as high as the heavens are above the earth. So is His mercy toward us. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove. How far is that? Again, you have people that you know, don't have trains or whatever. You just start walking east. 
How far can you go? I don't know. Nobody's ever gone all the way. Like, you know what I mean? There's no, how far is it? And the other beauty of this, as far as the east is of the west, so far as He removed His sin from us. So if God stands and looks at us in the east, where's our sin? He can't see us in our sin at the same time. I mean, I know He's God. Don't hear me here. It's an anthropomorphism. But you see what He's trying to communicate. The glory of who God is and His condescension of all that He has done. He does not deal with us. He is like a father. He is like a father showing compassion to His children. You see where I'm going, the power of it. Is he just unpacking? And even as he finishes the end of this, you know that he knows our frame. What a beautiful thing. I read that and I'm relieved. He remembers I got feet of clay. He remembers I'm a human being. He remembers that I'm broken and fallen. He remembers that I need a Savior. He remembers. He knows my frame. My days are like a mist passing. I am like this. And he knows that. And He cares for us. His steadfast love, repeated as He says all that, His steadfast love is from everlasting to everlasting for you who fear Him, who love Him, who know Him. The Lord reigns. He has established His throne. He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. He reigns above the chaos, above the pettiness, above all men and all power. He reigns above all of this. Bless the Lord, every creature that is. His angels, His mighty ones, His hosts, His ministers, His works. Oh my soul, bless this God. Let me give you four applications the way I see it. As quick as I can. Spiritual worship. What I see in the Psalms and in so many places, what we miss, I think it's in the words of Jesus as He tries to retrain us in worship in the New Testament. As they destroy, as God destroys the temple. In 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. Never rebuilt. Old Testament worship has come to an end. And Jesus says to the woman at the well, when she is asking about, are we going to worship here? Are we going to worship there? You know, are we going to worship in Jerusalem or on this mountain? And Jesus says, not in Jerusalem. No more Jerusalem. No more temple. God is a spirit. And those who worship Him, neither here nor there, will worship Him in spirit and the truth, for it is such that God is seeking to worship Him. Place removed. Ceremony removed. All the outward formal things removed. Creating a people after His own heart. He speaks to a spiritual worship because God is a spirit. And so He speaks to His soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Not just my lips. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is, there's a real, when you see a soul, spirit, heart, inner man, you go where you want with it. I think it's one conglomeration of who you are in the center of yourself. That's what he's speaking to. And he says, you, deep down in there, whoever you are, bless the Lord. All, all that is within me, bless Him. There is a genuinely spiritual thing going on here. I believe it's what Jesus is speaking about when He says worship in spirit and in truth. By the Spirit of God and according to the truth, 
But if we hear the Spirit of God according to the truth and make it some removed intellectual thing that doesn't involve our spirit and our soul, we've lost something. Something that He speaks to again and again. These people worship we with their lips, but their hearts are far. No, never, 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 never. The heart's close. Spiritual worship inside. Here, let me want to say something. Hear me. Try and hear me here. God is not blessed by our singing songs. He hears those songs. He doesn't think, wow, that is amazing music. He's got way better music going on. I'm just telling you. He, I mean, as far as music goes, even the best Bach or the best whatever, he is, not, he is not blessed by our singing. He is not blessed by the quality of the highest form of classical music. He is not blessed by those things. And if that's all he got from us, he would be angry. Because that's not what he's after. These people bring their lips, but their hearts are far. The music is a medium for us to express our hearts. It's not the thing itself. Or we would just sit here and play music all day and sing words. Like some of the people who just say prayers over and over and over and over and over again. And just we would just, and Jesus says, don't bring your vain babbling before me. I'm not interested in vain babbling. Right? God doesn't want, that's not what He wants. What He wants is the heart that sings. The music is a medium for your soul to express in a format. And, and song is a unique way to ex- express the soul. It's different than talking. It's different than everything else. So hear me in this. God is not blessed by the singing and the, and the music. He is blessed by the soul that sings and the soul that offers when they are blessing the Lord with all that is within them. He's not blessed by our giving and our tithing. In one respect, we have to say up front, God doesn't need our money. And He's not impressed when we give it to Him. Wow, that guy's really generous. You know, the Lord steps back. and This is why God, Jesus, God in Christ says, God loves a cheerful giver. Because it's not the giving, ultimately. Ultimately, right? It's the heart of the giver. And sure, the heart of the giver serves the purposes of the kingdom and His church and the gospel for its advancement and its preaching. And so, you know, so we, we give, but He says, not just give, give, law, give. You know, but He says, I love a cheerful giver. I'm after the heart. I'm after the soul again and again. So here in this, God is, I think the psalm and, and, and these things reveal to us here is a spiritual element to worship that is crucial for worship to be acceptable to God. He's not blessed by our listening to sermons. Went to church again and listened to a sermon. Check. Right? James, in in James 1 and 2, says, do not be hearers of the Word only. Doesn't do anything for, you know, he says when you do that, you've deceived yourself, not God. Listening to sermons doesn't do a thing for God. And in some ways, it doesn't do a thing for us. Why? Because God isn't blessed by our hearing sermons, but by an inward posture of obedience. He is blessed by our submission of the soul to the Word of God. To the God who speaks. So that lives respond and change. And are shaped into the image of Christ, which is the very image of God. Right? It's all a means to an end of your soul to, the, to conformity to the soul of God and the, and the worship that takes place between us. 
We must see this or our worship is going to be lame. It will be lip service. There is a spiritual quality to genuine biblical worship. Second, we are commanded not to forget His blessings. Which is one of the reasons that we sing them and we preach them. And there are times when I would open every one of these and exposit each one down, dig down deep into each one of these. To remember, because we are prone to forget the fullness of His grace. And we need to be reminded again and again. Why? Because of our frame. We are but dust and we have feet of clay and we forget and we grow cold and we grow weak and we grow distant. And so we must remind ourselves and spend enough time in the Scripture to be saturated with the riches of His grace. Why? To inform our souls so that they can worship. Third, let me say this. There is an intensity to worship. And I'm speaking to Presbyterians and I understand that. I'm a Presbyterian, so here it comes. I do believe that worship should involve our emotions very deeply. And I know that there is this thing that goes on in the, in, the, in the church, broad, big C, you know, about emotions and not emotions. And there's a little bit, I think, sometimes of polarization, which again, rarely does anybody any good. So let me talk to Presbyterians who are sometimes cynical about emotion. Let me give you two equal and opposite errors. One of them is to manipulate people through their emotions. And I agree. And we would say that. And we're afraid, a lot of times we who get afraid, that they are manipulating people's emotions through various techniques and various things to work up emotions for the sake of emotions. Think rock concert. There's nothing really substantial at the middle of it. It's just music. And it's just this thing where we can work people almost into a frenzy purely through music. And we fear this. Rightly so. But if we knee-jerk reaction to the other side that says we need to keep our emotions at bay in worship. We need to sing with our minds so that it's very clear. Okay. But I don't see Jesus putting, pulling mind out of heart, soul, mind, strength. You know, He doesn't pull it out of our love and just say, love me with your mind. And He doesn't pull it out of our worship either. So emotions can be a, a dangerous thing. Um, in many contexts they are, but I would say this, if you can participate in worship and sang the songs that we sang this morning and remain aloof and distant and unmoved by the power of the truths that we are talking about, then I would suggest there's something wrong. We are disconnected from the depths of, of us. I was thinking this as we were singing and I just don't understand. You know, we're singing... Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast. Unmeasured. Boundless. Free. To who? To me. Rolling like a mighty ocean. Where? Over, over me. Underneath me. All around me. How can we stand and sing such things and stay aloof? We are not meant to be aloof. When these kinds of truths elicit an res emotional response, it is absolutely right and proper. Emotion for emotion's sake, never. 
emotional response to who God is and what He has done and what He is doing for us as He reveals Himself, us responding to God with our depths of our emotional being is absolutely right and proper in my opinion, in my humble opinion. These things rightly call forth our love. They stir our joy. They create thankfulness. These are all powerful emotions that ought to rise. It is a rebuke to some of our lethargic worship, our wandering minds, our cold hearts, our distant, tired, or lazy worship. May it not be so. Finally, we'll simply say, this is not only, I think there's an emotion to this. I'll read Plummer. It's in your bulletin. Uh, He says this, In all acts of worship, let us summon our whole nature to the work. Heart, soul, mind, strength. Let us summon the whole nature to the work. Let our intellects know God. Let our wills choose Him. Let our hearts go out after Him. Let our confidence lean on Him. Our love delight in Him. Our tongues praise Him. Our hands at times even clap for joy. Heaven forbid in a Presbyterian assembly. But maybe at the right moment. I don't know. The Lord calls us to worship. Here David calls himself. My friends, you may need to call yourself to worship. Maybe you've been drifting as of late. Maybe you've bought into something that says, I need to keep my emotions out of it. I need to stand aloof and just sing at a, you know, at a good, staid Presbyterian stance or something. I need to... Which tends to be at times half-hearted and careless. Maybe it is time for us to rouse and wake in all that is within me to worship and bless the Lord. Oh, my soul. Stop complaining. Oh, my soul. Rise up and bless the Lord. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that's living and true. We thank you for the psalmist who worships so openly and so transparently for us. And I pray, Father, that you would let us taste and see that you are good through the worship of this psalmist, through David, that we would learn to enter in and to worship you and to bless you with all that is within us. You are worthy of our praise. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we would give it to You unreservedly. In the name of Jesus, Amen.